Kelsey rang me and uh, and said that uh, he loved her and uh, he's going to look after her. And uh, I said, what about me? <laughs> <laughs> Took the pram out of the thing. Big scratch down the side. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Off the Pitch with me, Richard Latham. It's a series of interviews with some of the best players I've watched and met over my 40 years as a sports journalist working in the Bristol area. Before I introduce my first guest, though, I want to put in a quick plug for my new book, which uh, if you're interested in sporting nostalgia and you're a Bristol City fan, then I hope you'll really enjoy it. It's called Bristol City Memories, and it includes uh, 27 interviews with icons of the club, including many past players and managers. And uh, I hope it'll bring back some very happy memories for City fans. So Bristol City Memories, you can get it at www.bristolcitymemories.co.uk. And uh, one of the players featured in it is uh, my first guest on uh, this programme. And it's uh, somebody I've watched many, many times and probably the hardest shot I ever saw in any Bristol City player. It is, of course, Alan Walsh. Welcome, Alan. Thanks, Rich. So we're going to take you back to the start of your uh, football career, uh, obviously up in the northeast. Uh, where did football first start for you? Uh First started at school really, uh, and sort of progressed through the sort of the junior, junior school up to the senior school, and then the the the, the local town team, uh, and then uh, unfortunately for me, I had sort of trials at uh, Middlesbrough and Derby uh, when I was sort of fifteen, but uh, nothing uh, came to nothing, and then sort of went and played local football with me with my mates, and up to eighteen, and then went into senior football. And that's when uh, I got spotted uh, playing for Horden Colliery Welfare in the Northern League, which was a really tough league at, at, in them days. Um, got spotted by the Middlesbrough scout, who invited me down to Middlesbrough to uh, for a month's trial uh, to go back to the, uh, the the company I worked for. And sort of, I was two months out of finishing my time as an apprentice. Uh, to go and to ask them if they'd let me go for uh, a month over to, to Middlesbrough. And uh, thankfully they agreed. Uh, but what they did say is, whatever happens, you're going to come back and for the last month and finish your time, which was which was really good for, for, for them to do that. Um, went to Middlesbrough, had the month's trial. Uh, at the end of the month, I had to go up into the office where all the coaching staff and the manager, Jack Charlton, was there and Harold Shepherdson, who was the sort of general manager at Middlesbrough at that time, um, who was Harold was sort of on the on the uh, Sir Alf Ramsey's trainer for the 1966 World Cup. Uh, so I walked into the room and they're all they're all there. Jack Charlton, that was a, a really tall chap. Jack, who was la- laid on this filing cabinet, which was about uh, six foot tall, on his with his elbow. <laughs> And uh, he was the first one to speak and he uh, said, well, if it was up to me, well, she said, I wouldn't sign you. <laughs> but he said, uh, so I felt a bit down. And then within sort of a, a sentence, he said, but I've took advice from all the coaching staff and they've seen something in you. So we're going to give you a contract. Um, Middlesbrough at that time, we're in the, we're in the old first division and uh, had some really good players. Uh, David Mills, who uh, once went for, I think, a British record transfer fee from Middlesbrough to West Bromwich Albion, I think, was about 516,000. Graham Sonis was in the team. Uh, so there was some really good players in the in that team at the time. Um, then everybody left the room, apart from Harold Shepherdson and myself, and then we had to discuss uh, the contract. So he asked me what my salary was, where I was working, and I said it's... Uh, £45 a week. 
And he went, £45 a week, we're not going to give you that. <laughs> he said, we've got sort of young professionals here, only on £40 a week, so that's it. You're going to have £40 a week. So I had to take a cut in wages <laughs> to join a first division football club uh, from a pre- being an apprentice. Brilliant um, story, yeah. brilliant story. And, and, and how long did you spend there? I spent sort of, uh, well, it was, it was near enough um, a two-year contract uh, and I was there sort of just under the two years and then um, I think it was sort of ma- mainly played in the reserves, made me debut coming as a substitute against Queen's Park Rangers at Loftus Road. Um, but I had three, three sub- substitutes appearance for Middlesbrough, but never made a, made a full start. And then, So that was in the first division that you played? Yeah, first division, Because yeah. one of the things I've always said about you is, what a shame we never played in the first yeah. division, which in fact is a, it's not true, you did. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. But right not for start. long. <laughs> Okay, so when did the move come about? So the move came about um, a chap called John Coddington was a reserve team team manager at, at, at Middlesbrough at the time. And um, after training one day, he said, we've had, uh, there's been a, a, a club coming for you, been offer made. Uh, Jack Chan had left by then and John Neal had took over. Uh, so he said, oh, there's, a, there's been an offer f- coming for you from Blackpool. Uh, he said they've offered twelve and a half thousand for you, um, but I think the manager's going to turn it down. Um, I didn't think it was in sort of, uh, I mean, in John Neal's plans. Uh, playing, I was mainly playing in the reserves at that time. Um, so, and Blackpool were in the old second division at that at, at that time. So it was a it was a decent club to go to. Um, John Coddington had played for Blackpool, so I don't know whether he sort of spoke to the manager and uh, put a good word in for me there, I don't know. Uh, but unfortunately, um, John Neal said he turned it down. And about a month later, he came up to me again, John Coddington, and said, oh, there's another club in for you, Darlington. Obviously, Darlington's sort of 20 minutes away from, from Middlesbrough. Um, and uh, But the, unfortunately, they were in the old, the old fourth division at that time. But they'd offered fifteen thousand, and he'd accepted it, Johnny. <laughs> so, so I sort of went up up to Darlington, spoke to the thing, signed the contract on the Thursday, went into Darlington on the Friday, and walked in. Obviously, when you leave Middlesbrough, the first division club at the time, and then you go to Darlington. No disrespect, a Darlington, shot. There's, a, there's a there's a gulf uh, in the from Middlesbrough to Darlington. And uh, I went, I walked in and sort of uh, went and seen the, the, the little, the kit man who was called Charlie at the time. And he, he went in and I said, have you, have you got some kit? He said, who are you? I said, oh, I've just come in, I've signed, signed yesterday for Middlesbrough. He said, oh, before I give you a kit, he said, have you got any old shoes you don't want? I said, well, well I said, what size are you? He went, well, anything from a seven to 11. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, there's your kit. <laughs> so did you give him a pair or not? No. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you knew immediately the sort of environment you'd come into, a, yeah. a, a, lower, a lowered league with lower league club with not much money being paid to anyone. Yeah. Um, to cut a long story short, you went on to become the leading scorer in Darlington's history. Um, tell us just some of the times at Darlington. Now, you played Bristol City, didn't you, in a, in a, in a game. I think you, you, you scored, didn't you, against them? Yeah, yeah, we played. We play. I think we played Bristol City um, four times in the, the period I was there. Obviously, when it got relegated into the old the old fourth division, and uh, we came down to like, played at Ashton Gate, and 
And then uh, I can't remember it was the first season that they were in the fourth division or the second season. We played them up at uh, up at Feetham's and uh, we drew 2-2 and I scored the two two goals for, for Darlington. And I think obviously Terry Cooper was the manager, and Terry was at, Terry Cooper was at Middlesbrough when I when I was there, so there was a little connection there as well. So, um, and I remember seeing Terry and Clive at a few games where we played when I played for Darling after after the games in the players' bar and stuff like that. And then um, last season, obviously the last season at Darlington, uh, Cyril Knowles was a manager at the time, and. Um, Cyril at the start of the season um, brought me into the office and said, we're going to put you on a goal scoring bonus. So he said, uh, one to five goals is going to be £10 a goal. 10 to 15 will be uh, £20 a goal and anything after 15 will be £50 a goal. In them days, that was, it was quite a, quite a for, for fourth division standards, uh, it was quite a quite a big amount. So that season, I got to eighteen goals. Uh, just got onto the fifty pound a goal, and uh, I got injured, and I missed fourteen weeks of the season. And I came back for the last three games. We couldn't didn't manage to score. <laughs> <laughs> so you ended up one hundred and fifty pound richer for the three the three yeah, goals. Three goals, above, yeah. Above yeah, fifty. Yeah. I know, Alan. We've talked uh, before about. Um, different things and people you met while you were at Darlington and one of them was Jeff Stelling who is now of course a top Sky presenter yeah. and very well known to, to a lot of people but he was a slightly lower grade of journalism when, when you knew him. Yeah, Jeff used to cover the the Darlington games for Radio Teesside uh, and uh, Darlington them days obviously had to walk around the cricket ground to get to the football pitch as you as you well as you well know. I remember, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and the players bath for the players was, was actually the club out the the clubhouse for the cricket club. So you had to, when you finished the game, you had to walk right back around the, the cricket pitch and into, into their, their social club to, for the players, players bar. And um, regressing a little bit, it was uh, my wife, Sue, her father used to work for the Hartlepool mail office. And uh, he met Jeff, Jeff Stellan years before I did because Jeff, had a spell at the Hartlepool mail office and Sue's, Sue's dad sort of took him under his wing and he brought him, brought him back to Sue, uh, Sue's mum and dad's house for a, for a meal once or twice. And uh, Sue got to know Jeff Stelling even before I knew him. So when uh, Jeff was covering the games, I used to finish the game, walk back round to the, to the, to the cricket club and Sue would be in there talking to Jeff Stellan and uh, on most, most, well, probably every, every evening game, we used to give Jeff, Steph, Jeff Stellan a, a lift home from, from Darlington. He used to, we lived in Hartlepool and he lived in a, a little village called Norton, which is near Stockton. Uh, we used to drop him off. So I don't know whether he, he didn't have a car or he did, hadn't passed his driving license by then, but uh, uh, that was the, the connection with Jeff Stellan. Right, so we'll skip a little bit of your Darlington career, even though it was very illustrious. Nine, uh, 100 goals, wasn't yeah, it, for Darlington? Yeah. Um, top scorer in their history. And come on to how you came to the other end of the country and, and, and joined Bristol City. What was the first approach from, from Terry Cooper? Well, that last season that last season at Darlington, it, although sort of I'd missed 14 weeks of the season, um, 
they had a, the, Darlington had had a couple of offers in uh, for me. I think sort of halfway through the season, Colchester, I think who were I can't remember they were in the same same league as us or a league higher. They had offered fifty thousand, and Darlington had turned it down. And then uh, at the end of the season, contract was up. Uh, Darlington sort of uh, didn't want me to didn't offer me a, a, a improved contract, so just wanted to sign me again on the same contract. And I'd scored sort of 18 goals and obviously 100 goals for them as well. So it was uh, in that season. Um, and sort of left, and as it, as it was in them days, you had a sort of probably about eight weeks uh, in the close season where you could just go, just relax and before the pre-season started. So... Um, myself, Sue, and the family. We, uh, the, the mother-in-law, had a caravan near near York, near Thirsk, near York, and we we went there for for our sort of two week holiday. And we were there about twelve days. And it, obviously, in them days, no mobile phones or anything like that. Just the the public telephones got a knock on the caravan door and it's the, the owner of the campsite. He said, oh, there's, uh, there's a phone call for you. For the phone call, where? He said, oh, at the, at the payphone on the campsite. So I've walked up and uh, took the call and it's uh, Cyril Knowles at Darlington. He said, we've had another offer in for you. So I said, oh, he said, uh, can you come into the, to the, to the ground? I said, I'm on my holidays. <laughs> so he said, uh, oh, well, do, can you just come in? The chairman's going to be here. So I thought, oh, they've had, a, they've had an offer in. Uh, they're obviously going to sort of give me an improved contract. So we packed the car up. We had two days left of the holidays. We packed the car up and sort of drove to Darlington, went in the office. Cyril Knowles was in there. The chairman was in there and sat down. And I said, uh, he said, yeah, we've had an offer in from Plymouth for 30,000. We've turned it down. So I thought... Yeah, yeah. So I'm waiting and waiting. Nothing. I says, "Well, I, you could have said that. You could have told me that over the phone." And he said, "And the chairman at that, he sort of got up and walked out, and Cyril knows it. Sort of left with Cyril in the office, and he said, no, "I appreciate what what what's hap- what's happening, but just stick with me. I'm trying. I'm doing my best and trying to get trying to get uh, a new contract for you." Um, so got back in the car, went home. In the house about half an hour, and the telephone rang. Terry Cooper. He says, "Where have you been? I've been trying to get hold of you for a, a week now." So I've been on my holidays, Terry. And uh, he said, "I'm down at Bristol City." He said, "I want you to come down here. We'll give you this contract. Uh, how's that sound?" I said, "Great." He said, "Leave it with me. I'll give you a ring back." So about two hours later, the phone rang. Phone rang. This is Thursday. The phone rang. He said, uh, "Yeah, I've." Uh, Ask Darlington what they want. They want 85,000 for you. I've offered 10. It's going to a tribunal. And I thought, oh, the tribunal is going to be about maybe two weeks, two or three weeks. He said, the tribunal's on Tuesday at Main Road. We'll see you there. <laughs> and this was the very early days of tribunals. Yeah, stressed, yeah. But they'd only just really started. But Terry offers 10. They want 85. You're the top scorer in their history. I think most people, fair-minded, would have thought, well, maybe it'll settle at forty or fifty thousand. Uh, it didn't work out that way, did it? No, it didn't. I think uh, Terry had some insider information. <laughs> I think, and uh, we went we went to the to the tribunal, and um, 
walked up the main steps, the main road into the main entrance. And then there's a little, there was a foyer or reception area where um, there was a, quite a few uh, clubs there because obviously they were doing numerous um, tribunals. And uh, I could see when I walked in that sort of Bristol City were there and Darlington were on the, up, on the opposite side. And me and me, I went with my wife, so, so we walked in. You're you thinking, where shall I go? Who am I going to sit next to? So we walked in and I just said, oh, good morning to the Bristol City contingent. Good morning to the Darlington contingent. Walked past them and went and sat down. Um, and at that time, I think uh, Tommy Doherty, uh, he was the manager of uh, he was the manager of Wolves, a manager of Queens Park Rangers, and he was trying to sign the goalkeeper John Burridge from from somewhere, and he knew Terry. So um, as the as they sort of met in the thing, his his uh, John Burridge tribunal was before ours, so he was coming out, and Terry was sort of we were going in, so he said to Terry, "What are you here for?" And he said, "Oh, I'm here trying to sign the the lad Walsh from Darlington." Oh, he said, he said uh, what, what do they want? And he went, 85,000. And, uh, and he said, what have you offered? He said, 10. And he said, when you go into the tribunal, Terry, I've got a little bit of advice for you. Tell them you want to buy the player, not the club. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just about how Darlington would have thought of it yeah. at the time. But, yeah. but, from but no pers- disrespect to Darlington. No. You know, it, was, it, was, it was just what, it was uh, Tommy Doherty, one, one of them one-liners he, yeah. just, he just came out with. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And, but it did turn out to be £18,000, which um, when Terry phoned me at the Bristol Evening Post offices to tell me he'd signed it, it was with a giggle. Like I always remember him giggling and said, we got him for 18000 I couldn't believe it. Um, I knew how much Terry wanted to sign you and with the difference in the, what they wanted. Uh, he said to me, if it's above 20,000, we won't be able to get him. And I thought, well, you've got no chance then, you know. But as you say, Terry knew. Yeah. <laughs> Terry was, was a wheeler and dealer, wasn't he? He, he was he a knew, wheeler and dealer, and he yeah, knew, yeah. He, later, later he told me he knew the panel and he knew Gordon Taylor who was on the panel, wasn't he? And he, he knew very well that because they hadn't offered you a, a new contract or a better contract, that was going to count heavily in City's favour. Yeah, there was numerous things why, obviously, that you, you could go to a, to a, a different club. One, obviously, if they're going to offer you a, a more substantial contract. Uh, two, if that club that you're going to is probably in a higher division and City where they're just being promoted out of the fourth division into the old, into the old third division. So they were a higher club. And obviously Bristol City, was a, was a, although they were in the fourth division, they, they, were, they were still classed as a big club, you know, obviously being in the, in the first division. And, um, so there was certain, certain, you know, I mean, yeah. circumstances that would prevail that you would sort of probably probably move on but I didn't think it would the fee would be set at 18,000 and out of that 18,000 when when I left Middlesbrough for 15 there was a there was a clause in the in the in the agreement that if anything over 15,000 Middlesbrough would have got a third of the fee so out of that 18,000 Middlesbrough have got a thousand. <laughs> Darlington got seventeen. So Darlington really got seventeen. And what was their reaction? Did you did you hang around to find out? No, it was. I mean, it was the the tribunal situation was sort of. I had to go in first, and and sort of. Um, it was Gordon Taylor was there from the PFA. Graham Kelly, who was the secretary of the football. 
Association at the time, um, and a couple, a couple of other, another gentlemen were there. Who I, I didn't know. Um, I, had, I had to go into the tribunal first and say uh, why I wanted to leave Darlington and why I wanted to go to Bristol City. And then I came out and then the two clubs went in and they obviously had to go in and say why Terry Bristol C had offered 10,000 and why and Darlington, why they wanted 85,000. So, and then we all came out and the tribunal discussed it and then we all went back in together and um, it was sort of Graham, Graham Kelly who was doing all the, all the talking and he obviously said, obviously we've discussed this matter and we've... Uh, We've 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 decided that we're going to set the fee at eighteen thousand, and at that the chairman of Darlington, who was in, who was there, um, stood up, sort of slammed the table, which which he was he was aggrieved, you know, when he was, um, and just walked out. He said that's the final decision, and walked out. And like you say, when Terry phoned you, Terry, we are, yeah, we'll sign him, we'll sign him. <laughs> <laughs> he was on the phone to me um, within minutes. It was l- around lunchtime, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, she was on the phone to me within minutes to get, so we got it in the two-star edition of what was then the, the Evening Post, but it had several editions yeah. during the day. Um, so then, you know you're moving. You didn't have to get Pickfords, did you, to move? You got yeah. a rather smaller firm yeah. of uh, Cooper and Middlemass. Yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. So, Tell us about that. So I'd been sort of in digs for about... Uh, three or four months. And um, at that time as well, you know, Bristol City went financially <laughs> set up for spending loads of money. So, and obviously being sponsored by Hyrite, which obviously the um, the rental van people, Terry and Clive, um, so, so I sold the house and everything. I said to Terry, we've sold the house, we're all ready to go. And he said, I said, what about the removal people? Leave that with me, he said. So he, so a couple of days later, he said, we've hired a van from Hyrite. We're going to come up, me and Clive, and we're going to move you down. So at that time, we had sort of young children and Sue had a sort of silver cross pram, which was a pride and joy. And I went back and said, oh, Terry and Clive's going to uh, move us down. So she said, okay, but... If anything gets damaged, <laughs> there'll be uh, there'll be trouble. So I told Terry, I said, "Look, this Silver Cross pram is like a pride and joy. If that gets damaged in any way, uh, Sod's Law got back down to Bristol, moved into Clevedon, got into the house, took the pram out of the thing, big scratch down the side. <laughs> so Terry had to take it to her." Um, I think I think he took her to a car garage. I think he read like uh, got body, a respray, yeah, yeah, panel builder, and got a respray on the on the silver cross pram. Brilliant, brilliant story. So you moved to Clevedon and started your career at Bristol City. Now people know now you've got ninety nine goals for Bristol City, just missing out on another hundred for a club in five seasons, which is almost twenty a season, mostly from the left wing. But I remember early on when you played a few games for City, you were quite keen to play as a central striker, weren't you, rather than out on the left wing. So how did you end up playing on the left wing so often? Well, that was that was my main position through my career, that, that sort of um, left, left-sided, left you know, it was sort of left wing, left midfield, left mid- midfield position. But I preferred myself to play up front. But um, I think 
I did play. I did play sort of quite a few games up front for Darlington, especially in that last that last season. But mainly on on the left, um, and I, th- I, c- I can remember. So I, I think I spoke to you, Richard, because it was in the headlines in the Evening Post. <laughs> so. Still got it. I so, want to play up front. So I want more. to play up front. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's sort of thing. So uh, um, I want to play up front. So I think it was the next day or a day, the day after. Teddy said, "Come into the office." <laughs> so he said, "Look, this is the situation. You're going to play on the left. <laughs> if somebody gets injured, you might get a spell up front, but." Your position is on the left. <laughs> and he was right, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was. He was right. I mean, it's sort of like... Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it was a situation where I could score goals from that position, but I could also create and assist with goals from that position as well. So, yeah. And I think in, in the manager's eyes, if you've got somebody like that, then you want, them to, you want that player to play in his most sort of uh, prominent position. Yeah, yeah. So two things are remembered for mainly by City fans. Left foot that could score off goals from distance, um, a rocket shot, and the trademark step over, a little trick that you used to do on the wing to try and go past, and, and did go past many, many good full, full-backs. So when did those traits, did, how, how soon did you develop those uh, particular skills in your career? Well, the, 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 the strength of the, of the shot or the pass or the thing, I always had that, even when I was... Uh, when I was small at junior school, it was I always that was something that I'd been born with, and then, I don't know how you get it, but it was that. But the step over, um, I sort of uh, copied that from a player at Middlesbrough, a, a, a player called Graham Headley. Um, I saw saw him do it in a couple of reserve games, and uh, and it was one of them one of them skills or tricks that sort of seemed to work quite regularly and I know that um, Glenn Roder who played for Leighton Orient and, and Newcastle United he had that but he was a defender and he used to come out of the come out of the the, the back four or back three or whatever it was and he used to do it I don't know whether you can remember that Glenn Roder he used to do it um, but I, I saw it firstly from this from this lad and I don't know where he got it from Graham Headley I don't know where he but sort of I sort of copied it and sort of Put my stamp on it, and, but if it was easy, and everyone could do it, so so did you find straight away that you that it took you past people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I wasn't in my career. I wasn't blessed with that sort of uh, that lightning pace over that first few yards. So you needed you needed something. You needed a trick or a skill to to get that yard of space, either for a cross or a shot. You know, what I mean, and uh, fortunately for me, that seemed to quite most of the time worked, worked quite well. It just gave you that yard to bend, get, get your left foot around the ball and get across yeah. in. That was, that was the key to it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then that created, created many goals. But let's talk about some of the ones you scored. Best goal for City was the one that stuck out, stuck out in your mind? Um, I think the first season uh, I came down, we played Brentford at home. We absolutely sort of uh, Put Brentford under under a lot of pressure, and we sort of we, we just we just couldn't we, we couldn't score, and I think it was just before just before half time, um, I picked the ball up, we back to goal, probably about 30, 40 yards out, and sort of got turned and went at somebody, and I I remember that sort of I got to about twenty five yards out, and the lad tackled me. And so I went down onto onto my knee and I got back up 
and the referee, I think the referee was going to blow, but he thought, oh, he's back up, I'll play, up, I'll play on. And I just took a touch to the side and hit it from about 22 yards and it flew in the top corner. I don't think you remember that one. Oh, yeah, I remember most of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't so remember, was, I remember you going down, that was the key thing about it, wasn't it? You were tackled, yeah, got up and recovered, yeah. and then smashed it in. Yeah. But you smashed in so many, Alan. I mean, yeah. people who watched you play over the years, a lot of your goals were spectacular goals, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, you were known, you, you know, you got, and you also took penalties, of course, and, and you had a fantastic run of success with penalties, didn't you, one time? At one time, yeah. Um, I think uh, there was a spell where... It, um, I missed four consecutive penalties, and if I, you I mean if I'd scored even one of that, one of them four, I'd sort of scored a hundred goals for City as well. But unfortunately, um, I think I missed a couple at uh, a Fulham one day uh, against I think John Vaughan. Remember John Vaughan? He he was like came to City on yeah. loan from West Ham. Uh, he he saved a couple of penalties. Well, fortunately for us, I think we won four 0 so it didn't really make much difference to the to the result. Um, and then I mixed in, missed another couple, and I remember sort of Terry in the dressing room before the the, the next the, the next game after I'd missed the fourth one. He said, "Who's taking the penalties? You're not," he said. <laughs> And I think uh, Rob Newman went on to take the penalties. But that was then after, he, after then, he missed it, then he missed it, missed it, missed it, and then I was back on them again. But didn't you net one time something like 19 out of 20 or something like that? Before, something like before that. this, before before you missed yeah. them. And then yeah. once you missed one, you started to miss them. But yeah. you had a fantastic run, didn't you? Yeah, what, what, yeah. What, what was your technique with penalties? Um, I think it was mainly it, being left-footed was... Um, shooting towards the goalkeeper's left-hand side. So, as the, you, I mean, there's always a good height for a goalkeeper. If you hit it high, um, you've got a good chance of scoring. If you hit it low, you've got a good chance of scoring. Anything waist height is a good height for a goalkeeper. So it was either sort of putting them in the top corner or in the, trying to get them in the bottom corner. And if you, if you, with the left foot, if you could take it to the goalkeeper's left, then the ball's going to, be going away from him. And if it's sort of, if it is that high, high or low one, it's going to be difficult for a goalkeeper to, to save it. Um, but saying that, it did like, mm. I did miss a few, so. <laughs> but you wouldn't have been one of these to do a little hop as you ran in. You basically ran in and blasted it, didn't you, really? Yeah, yeah. You put your foot through it. You them, put your you? foot through it, yeah. yeah. But if you, you, you mean, if sometimes you, you, you hope, you, you mean, you go and you, you, you're confident that you're going to, you're going to score. You've always got that little doubt in your mind, but you're confident you're going to score. And the biggest thing with penalties is when you're running up, don't change your mind. Absolutely. And, uh, and as I say, you had a fantastic record. So you know, I think we can overlook the, the few, that, the few <laughs> that you missed. Um, you didn't win promotion at City, which I'm sure is a regret, although the team did well in, in the third division many, many seasons. But you did get to the semi-final of the, of the League Cup in, um, was it 1988-89, wasn't yeah, it? And, yeah. and um, played Nottingham Forest over two legs in, 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 in the semi-final. Um, what do you remember about that team and that, that cup run? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, prior to that, we, we, we did get to Wembley a couple of times, didn't we, with, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, a successful Wembley and a not-so-successful one. But, and then, obviously, the last, um, the last season, uh, we got to the semi-final of the... The, the Littlewoods Cup against Forest. Um, great run, bit, that. Some great, some great a, games. Yeah, it was a, it was a good run because we we beat some uh, higher opposition in 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 the 
early rounds and um and I think we got to play Bradford in the quarter final with Valley Parade and everybody had wrote us off because they'd knocked a couple of uh, first division teams out and they were going quite well Bradford at the time uh, and we went up there and I, th- I remember Jimmy Lumsden was uh, Joe Jordan's uh, assistant at that time and we were in the hotel in Harrogate and uh, so it was the quarter finals and I think the semi-finals had already been sort of you knew you were going to play. So if we'd got through, we knew that it was going to be Nottingham Forest or wherever they were playing in the quarterfinals. Uh, and uh, Jimmy come in, I don't know if it was a bit of kidology or not, so we are having a pre-match meal and Jimmy's come in and he said, I've just heard, lads, that uh, Bradford have booked the hotel for the semi-final. Now, I don't know whether that, was a, that helped us in a way, um, thinking or they're thinking they've, they've won it already or whether it was a Jimmy just to giving us a bit of kidology. Mm. Um, but obviously we went to Bradford and I think I scored in the, in the first five minutes and then it was like the Alamo for the next 85. <laughs> uh, and Keith Woff, uh, who had sort of probably, I mean, kept us in that competition through, th- through most of the rounds, had an uh, exceptional game. You know, every, I couldn't believe everything that sort of Bradford threw throughout. And obviously not just Keith, but the, obviously the team defended uh, from the front to the back, but the, the goalkeeper at that time, Keith, had a sort of uh, excellent games. Mm. So you won 1-0 with your goal and that took you through to the semi-finals. Two legs, first at the city ground, Nottingham, another incredible night and the journey to the ground wasn't without its problems. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, remember, obviously, Joe Jordan, his, pre- his preparation was uh, top-notch. Everything had to be meticulous about the preparation before the game, what you do. So we... we, we been to the hotel, we'd had a pre-match meal, we got back, got ready on the coach, tra- travelling to Nottingham, um, got to Nottingham and we, we went over this bridge over the Trent. We must have went over it four times because <laughs> the driver couldn't find the, the slip road to get off. The th- and you could see sort of Joe was like... And it, but in, the, in a way, in a way, I think that was a good thing because we got, to, we got to the ground and we had to get changed on the coach. The only thing that we didn't have on was the boots, so we had to get changed on the coach. Um, City ground, Nottingham. It was it was packed, and there was nearly thirty thousand there. I think off the coach into the dressing room. Put our put our clothes on the hangers, boots on on the pitch. Warmed up, started the game, and I think that was a, that was a good thing. So because we, we didn't have to think about obviously sitting in the dressing room for an hour before the game and thinking, oh, I'm playing Nottingham Forest because they'd put a few clubs to the sword in that competition that season uh, and uh, went out and uh, I mean Joe had a, a game plan where we would sort of soak a lot of pressure up and we did uh, and uh, but we kept a clean sheet and there was always a chance with the sort of the players we had in that in the squad at that or in the team at that time that we could we could nick a one and we did mm. uh, but it was a most unlikely uh, scorer because Paul Madden um, who came in to do a marking job on uh, Hodge for uh, Nottingham Forest. Um, came to City, I remember playing, obviously training when he came in, he was a centre-forward, but 
and I'm, I'm sure Paul would agree, he wasn't the best finisher in the world for the centre forward. And he got, he got as sometimes they do, centre forwards get pushed back to centre half. But before he went to centre half, he went into like a marking job for that game. And he did, he did really well. And sort of, I think it was sort of 10 or 15 minutes before the end of the game, we got a, we got a breakaway. We got down the left. I got the ball. I crossed it. I think Joe challenged for it. It came out to the edge of the box. I think uh, Mark Gavin laid it to Paul Martin. He hit a, a shot from about twenty yards, which flew into the. And it was the end. It was the end of the at, at, at the end of the at the game where uh, all the city supporters were were sorry. And um, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. The whole the whole that end of the ground erupted. Yeah, we should say that Nottingham Forest this time are one of the top two or three sides in the country, if not the top one, um, under Brian Clough, of course. And you were within a few minutes of beating them on their own, own ground and take up the story there. Yeah, yeah, a few minutes we thought we were going to hold out and then, uh, you know, we'd, we'd been under pressure for, you mean, for, for most of the game and uh, did extremely well to keep a, keep a clean sheet and then the, the ball came into the, into the box, felt it, John Pender's feet, and in them days you could pass it back to the goalkeeper, and he could he could pick it up. Um, but unfortunately, he tried to pass it back to the goalkeeper and missed him. And it's I can sort of agonisingly roll and pass Keith Wharf and in, into the bottom corner. But then again, you, it was it was a great result, mm. and it was that I think that game was shown the highlights on a, on a, on the Wednesday evening. I think the other final was the other semi final was between West Ham and Luton, and Luton had beat West Ham in the other semi final about three or three or four nil. So their second leg of the the the, the game was going to be a, a non-event really. So then our game, the return leg at Ashing Gate, was live on the on the TV on a on the, on the Sunday. The worst weather ever. Yeah. Uh, you won one after the first leg. And, and I suppose you get up as a, as a lower division player and think this is what we want, really. Br- bring them down to our level a bit. You know, they're not going to be able to play great football in this. The pitch was a mud bath. The, the, it was pouring with rain. The, it was a gale force wind. And you so nearly, so nearly beat them. And, and, and nil-nil right up to the, uh, near the end of the game and your moment that you're asked about so often. So just tell us about it once more. Yeah, it was uh, the same, you know, we had the same game plan as we did at the, at the City Ground Nottingham that obviously we we would sort of, uh, we would soak up the pressure and, and try and sort of counter-attack them on the break. Uh, and and it, 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 that was working and uh, it got to sort of uh, five minutes, not even that from the end, a couple of minutes from the end. Uh, and we got a corner and um, Steve McLaren took the corner um, and so whipped it into the near post. John Pender got a flick on and I was round about the penalty spot. And I remember as he flicked it on, it went it went behind me and I, had to t- I, I sort of just turned and hit it and it sort of, I could see it and it was just, it was going towards the goal and... It's hit the post and come across, and the goalkeeper's gone, gone across to pick the ball to try and save the ball. And as he as he went across, it's hit the post and it's come back and it's gone through his legs. And I can see Rob Newman; he was going, he was he was flying in to put it in the thing. And unfortunately for us, the Nottingham Forest player got in there before him and just kicked it out for a corner. So I took the corner, put it straight into the goalkeeper's hands. He threw it to Franz Carr, who was out, out on uh, on their right. He ran virtually the full length of the pitch, 
crossed the ball and I think it was Neil Webb headed the ball into Keith Woff's hands and referee blew his whistle for full time. So you were that, the thickness of a post from beating Nottingham Forest 2-1 on aggregate and going to Wembley in a major competition. So we, we know the story of extra time. Gary Parker got the winner for them. Um, and it all ended in, in, in disappointment. But a fantastic effort from a third division team. What, what were your feelings at the end? I mean, you're obviously very disappointed not to get through, but it must have been a bit of pride as well. Yeah, because the game was going to... If that game had finished all square, we were going up to Aston Villa, Villa Park, and, and having a replay at Villa Park in the, in the midweek. And you, and you think you get into extra time and you think, well, they might be happy with a, happy with a, a draw and get to Villa Park. Uh, like you say, but unfortunately, um, Parker... Um, Hit a great shot, which sort of, and again on that on the day of the two games, Keith Woff had two outstanding games again. kept us in kept us in the game, and unfortunately that shot he had no chance with it in the, in the top corner. I've asked you before about whether you have any memories of Brian Clough from from those days, and I know you've told me there wasn't anything particular, but you do have a Brian Clough story to tell from your was it your time at Darlington? Darlington, yeah, um, Darlington went through a bit of a financial crisis at, at, at one one time, and we. We used to play, higher teams used to come and uh, we played Newcastle, we played Southampton um, as mon- funny, uh, mon- uh, money raisers or fundraisers for the club and we played Nottingham Forest. So Brian Clough brought his, brought his team up and we, we played them in a, in, a, in, a, in a game, packed out, Feetham's, you know, Feetham's hold about nine or 10,000, the place was full. So he brought his uh, European Cup winning team up and game played the game great. After the game, uh, Darlington was walking down the corridor with a with a bottle of beer in my hand. Just finished finished the game, and in them days you could have a. Brought some teams would bring beer into the change room. You could have a, a bottle of beer, and, and uh, so I was walking down the corridor, and he was Brian Clough was coming the other way, and he went, um, "Were you the number 10? And I went, "Yeah." He said, "If you could." hit them cross-field passes like that in every game, you'd be playing in the first division. And I said to him, well, I do do that every game. And he went, well, I've got a bit of advice for you. Uh, and I said, oh, what's that? He went, don't drink out of bottles. <laughs> <laughs> That's him all over in there. I mean, incre- incre- incredible character, incredible character. Um, we talk, You mentioned the trophies you did, or the trophy you did win at, at Bristol City. And, and of course, that was involved in a fantastic... Wembley experience in 1986 and to a lesser degree when you didn't win it in 1987 but uh, the 1986 Freight Rover Trophy Final 3-0 against Bolton beautiful day um, surely one of the greatest days of your career yeah it was I mean it was one of them as a as a kid when you're growing up you, you dream of playing at Wembley in a cup final uh, usually it's the FA Cup final but uh, in them days you had the opportunity to go over third and fourth division teams had the opportunity to go and play at Wembley in the uh, in the Freight Rover. It was it was then it was so, sort of third division league league cup game really, but it was uh, it was an opportunity to get to get at Wembley, and I'd never been at Wembley, never been there to watch a game. Um, but you have all these uh, aspirations and dreams that one day you're going to play at Wembley, and this competition gave the opportunity to players who never probably would have played at Wembley to play at Wembley. Mm. And uh, it was, uh, I mean, the, the build-up to that or the, the earlier rounds, 
because it was it was a it was a competition in the early rounds where you di- you didn't get many it wasn't well supported uh, but as you got on in the competition then the, the crowds would thing and uh, as in Bristol City with a sort of with a good fan base uh, as we got to the quarters and, and semi-finals, uh, the crowd, the crowds would go, and it was it would make it uh, more of a more enjoyable atmosphere to play in. Uh, and then it was the semi-finals against Hereford that was a thing because we played Hereford. There was two legs semi-finals, so we had to go to Hereford, and uh, Hereford were a decent team, although we're the league below us in the in the old fourth division, but they had some good footballers. And we went there, and uh, I mean, we didn't we didn't go there thinking we're going to win this game. Or we went there, and they sort of uh, they were the better team, and they beat us two 0 on the night. And everybody was saying, "That's it, you've you've finished, you've had your chance, it's gone." And then we had to bring them back to Ashton Gate uh, a few days later, and uh, I think it was fourteen or fifteen thousand in, uh, which is probably one of the highest gates for for that competition, apart from the Wembley games. And we started the game. We knew we had to, we had to score three goals, um, and we went for it and got back to two nil. And then it went to extra time. And then obviously everybody knows the Steve Never go- goal. Uh, hundred nineteen minutes, something like that. Hundred nineteen minutes. minutes. Uh, yeah, you're two two to one aggregate. Yeah. What do you remember of that goal? I just, I think I, I was, I, I don't know, it might have been a corner. I was out there, I was out on the right, which is unfamiliar territory for me out there. So I was out on the right. So I don't know whether I took a corner on the left, on the right, and then uh, being stood there. But the ball came to me uh, just outside the 18-yard box wide and uh, I crossed to put it in the ball. It wasn't a great cross, sort of, in Bobby Hutchinson. It went sort of the wrong side of Bobby Hutchinson and he sort of headed it down to Steve uh, who controlled it and you're thinking oh he's going to shoot uh, somebody come to close him down and he just dropped his shoulder dummy the ma- the lad who came to close him down and took his time and just slotted it in the near post and the keeper you know that was it you know, I mean there was a crowd came on the pitch the players were dancing and there was still a bit of time to go by then you know what I mean and we, we were sort of on that on the Hereford had a few chances on the, on the night to 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 kill the game, uh, but they didn't take the chances, and uh, we got that goal. And I remember the celebrations after. You know, I remember then that sort of it was of, one of Ashton Gate's great nights. It really yeah, was. It was yeah. a, a fantastic time to be part of it. And I remember the press box. Even in the press box, people leapt up when Steve scored, which you weren't supposed to do. <laughs> I certainly wasn't supposed to do that. I remember we probably got a few frowns, but it was so much at stake. Going to Wembley was such a big thing, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and City had been almost gone out of business four years earlier. Nearly, but for the Ashton Eight, would have would have, who tore up their contracts would would not even have existed as a club. Suddenly, going to Wembley and taking thirty thousand fans with them. It's an ex- it was an extraordinary recovery story, and, and Wembley was like the, 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 the like the end of the first stage of the recovery. Yeah. And well, the day itself, you, you trained there first of all the day before, hadn't you? And I was there to see that, and it that was a wonderful experience. Just an empty Wembley, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, it's to just going. I mean, that would have done, that would have done me just going training <laughs> on the pitch for for forty five minutes, uh, but it was great. And then obviously we went there and had a look round and 
people took photographs, went up to the royal box, went in the dressing rooms, and people were taking photos. Not like not like today when they've got the phones, they the old box camera taking <laughs> yes, photographs. Yes. Uh, and they had to get them developed, <laughs> and uh, it was uh, it, it was it was a good time. And then obviously you had that you had that insight into into the stadium and the pitch. And then obviously the, the the following day we obviously we went back to the hotel after the training and then look look forward to the to the game the next day. Mm. And it, as I say, it dawned a beautiful sunny day, um, and Wembley was absolutely bathed in sunshine, wasn't it? When 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 the teams came out, I remember. What do you remember of actually emerging from the tunnel and, and hearing the the city fans? Yeah, well, with the tunnel uh, the tunnel end, that's where all the contingent of Bristol City supporters were on at that at that end. So it was. Um, you mean you, you, you always watch that 1966 World Cup when they're in the tunnel and then looking they're looking out of the tunnel up to the pitch and it's like it's it's quite dark and it's like you can see the light uh, and you're walking up there and you're in there and you but when you walk out and I think there was 50 52 53,000 there that day but it sounded like the place was full you know what I mean and uh, obviously playing Bolton as well they were a, were a big club at the time as well in in the lower divisions uh, who brought their sort of uh, 20 odd thousand supporters down I mean it was uh, it was it was a it was a thing to sort of uh, remember forever really you didn't score yourself on the day but uh, you were certainly involved in some of the moves that led to the goals and, and Glyn, Glyn Riley scored just before half time so that was obviously a key moment second half Bristol City played as well as they could, didn't they? Didn't they really? Yeah, yeah. I think we we rode our luck in the in the early stages of the game. If I, I knew, I knew, uh, uh, Bolton had hit the bar and they were, they looked probably the better team in the first 15, 20 minutes. Uh, fortunately for us, they didn't they didn't score, and then we sort of got our uh, confidence and we started to build and we started to play. So we got the we got the goal at the right time. Glynn's first goal uh, just before half time. Um, sort of settled us down a bit and give us that little bit of breathing space. And in the second half, we, when you think back, it pro- we think, <laughs> I can't remember Bolton having that many attacks, but it seemed that we were sort of in possession of the ball for a long time and we were, we were creating the chances. And then you get, you get 3-0 up and you're thinking, well, I don't want this game to finish. You know what I mean? You don't want the referee to blow the final whistle because you're enjoying it that much. Because you, you You've been there, and you never. Th- are you going to come back here? Is this is this is this the only time you're going to have the chance to play at Wembley? Mm. Yeah, it was a, the second half performance was just absolutely magnificent. And one of the goals, particularly sticks in mind, probably the last one wasn't it, with the Glynn headed in, but it had started with a move right which you were involved in, cross the pitch from, from deep in your own half. Yeah. What do you remember of that? Yeah, it was. So I picked the ball up. It was virtually sort of uh, on the edge of our eighteen. 18-yard box and I played a crossfield pass to Howard Pritchard who controlled it and he played probably even better pass out to Steve Neville on the op- opposite wing again and he sort of took on his defender, got past him and crossed it and Glyn, Glyn headed it in at the near post. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was a fun, it was a. Fun, Fantastic goal! It was capped a great. I mean, capped a great game. It was as good a goal as Wembley's seen probably for many teams. So, so you can always look back on that with pride. That was the moment the game was won. 
celebrations afterwards? What do you remember of that? Yeah, I remember going, I remember you in the dressing room. Well, you go everywhere. You were on the coach in the dressing room. <laughs> well, I was playing, playing one. I forgot. Yeah, I I think think I playing. playing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it was lovely to be part of it. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I did used to travel with the team and, and Terry allowed me to sit on the bench that day and it was in the dressing rooms. And it was a wonderful day for me as a reporter with my team. I would always supported as a kid. It was like the day of, of my reporting career to now, yeah. without any question yeah. of that, whatever I've seen before or since, that was the day. And it was, it was, it was because that team was so special and you had some special characters. Because when you think, the centre-backs, David Moyes, who's now manager at West Ham, yeah. managed Man United, um, obviously went, had a phenomenally successful career as a coach and manager. Keith Curl is a manager himself now, but went on to play for England, yeah. for goodness sake. Three, three full England caps. It wasn't an ordinary team, was it, for a third division team? No, no, we had some good players. I mean, our biggest problem, uh, league-wise, was like consistency. Mm. I mean, we could, we, could, we could beat teams in high divisions on the day, but it was that consistency over the, over the season, I mean, that sort of let us, let us down a bit. But that camaraderie them we had in our players i've i've sort of never known that before or at, at a football club everybody everybody just seemed to get on together and i think that was mainly down to terry and clive and um their wives um rose and denise because they used to organize all the sort of um off-field entertainment for the for the families you know i mean there was there was something organized for match days there would be the, the wives and the kids would be taken to a room and they'd be looked after um so i think that's got a lot down to sort of um rose and denise who, who did a lot f for the for the players families mm. at, at, at game day it was a great time to be involved because the club had very little money, as you said. The supporters in, the, in those situations are closer to the club. So there was a good bond, wasn't there? Not just between the players, but the players and the fans. Yeah, I think obviously what happened at Bristol City from that 82, when then players had to tear the contracts up and then really create another team and then obviously try and build that club back up. Um it was it was it was a time when I the supporters needed players who they could communicate with and have a connection with, and I think the players same thing could go to the supporters, and they knew every everybody was trying to do the best for Bristol City at that time. You know I mean? mm, absolutely. So you've had five wonderful years at Bristol City. I know you think it was one of the top times in your career, your whole career. Ended with a trip to, to Turkey. So briefly, how did that come about, and, and what, how did you find playing in Turkey for Besiktas? Um, it was a, it was different, but it was uh, it was enjoyable, and it was uh, it came about that obviously my contract had finished at, uh, at Bristol City. Um, Joe Jordan was the manager. Joe had off, offered me a, a, th a three-year contract to stay, um, but. I was looking for a bit more, obviously coming, I was thinking I was 32 at the time. So you, you're sort of coming towards the end of your, of your career. You don't think you are, but you are. And I thought, well, I just need a bit more financial security. Um, I scored 99 goals for City by that time. Um, so you're thinking, is there anything better out there? And the the system had changed that tribunal system had had, had changed um 
So it was more uh, for the player than the early days where the clubs, it was sort of, you know, the clubs got together where they had that. I, I, I can't remember, I don't think the Bosman was come in there, but it was like, a f- you were like free to go and talk talk to other clubs. Um, so through that close season, um, I had quite a few offers from other clubs. Um, I think it was Scunthorpe, uh, no disrespect to Scunthorpe at that time, but they'd, they'd offered me, I think Bill Green was the manager at Scunthorpe who used to play for Harleypool. So I, I, I sort of knew Bill a little bit, um, but I didn't want to go to Scunthorpe. Um, the next one club was Sunderland, um, which sort of really sort of interest, interested me, obviously coming from the northeast. Uh, Sunderland was obviously a big club. Um, and went up to uh, Sunderland and talked to Viv, Viv Busby, the uh, his assistant, and uh, told me obviously about the club and the offer and things. Sort of then, sort of the other club that was interested was Walsall, and uh, John Barnwell was the manager of Walsall. I think they had just been relegated out of the, the old second division back into the third, they were building a new ground. So I remember going up and uh, him taking me from um, the old stadium and take me to the to the new one and just set out, just set all the pitch out and he said, this is going to be where the new stadium's going to go. And I think we've got sort of big plans here. Uh, and out of the out of the three, on oh, Bobby Gould at Wimbledon, they were in the first division. So Bobby Gold at Wimbledon sort of lives in lives in Port Said where I think he's got a phone call from Bob. He said, Come down to the house and we'll have a chat and uh see if we can see if we can come to some some agreement. And sort of went down and spoke to spoke to Bob. And then uh out of the blue, we I got a phone call from Gordon Milne. Uh, and I remember Gordon was just the Coventry and Leicester City manager and I couldn't think what club he was at. And uh, he said, I'm in Istanbul. And I'm thinking, Istanbul, deserts and camels, I think. <laughs> Came to me, I don't, know what, I don't know why. And he said, I'm in, Istanbul, in Istanbul at a club called Besiktas. And um, he said, I've, I've seen you play, I've watched you play and I've seen you, I've seen you a, a couple of times, but... I've had a recommendation um, and we'd like you to, to come over and have a look. He said, I'm not talking about any any contracts yet. He said, I want you to come over and uh, have a look round and, and uh, see what you think. He said, if you, can, you and your wife can come out, you pay for the flights and... Uh, We'll put you in a hotel, pay for flight, come out for for three or four days and have a look and have a look at the schools, apartments and stuff like that and see if you can get, see if you see what you think. And I'm thinking, pay for the flights. <laughs> <laughs> John Barnwell, who was a manager of Walsall, uh, I, I had to obviously phone him and say, look, this is, I phoned the, all the clubs that were interested in it, this is, the, this is the situation. John Barnwell used to manage in Greece and he said, be very careful, he said, because what they'll do, they'll put you in the best hotels, they'll do all this for you and all that for you. And when you sign, that'll be it. <laughs> um, so that put a little doubt in my mind. So we went down to the travel agents, no, 
no internet then. You couldn't just go on the computer and book a flight. Go down to the travel agents in the high street in Porter's Head and book two flights, return flights to Istanbul. £800. <laughs> Which is like quite a bit of money. And I'm thinking, dear, oh dear, £800. So eventually got, we paid for, the, paid for the flights, went out and then uh, got to Istanbul. Gone Milson, come to the airport, picked us up in the, in the car on the way back into Istanbul to the hotel. He said, we have to go through the tradesman's entrance at the back of the hotel into the, tra- into the service lift and up to the, up to the room. So I'm thinking, oh, what's going on here? So got to the got to the hotel. He said, because there's all reporters out in the, the they know you you're coming. All the reporters, well, I'm coming from Bristol City, right? You can just like you walk into the stadium on a morning and you like mash days, you might see yourself Me. after the game. <laughs> and that was it. He said, always oh, there's like there's like 20 reporters in the in the foyer of the hotel. And I'm thinking, let's see. Okay. What's going on here? So we got to the hotel, went up. We were staying in the Hilton, Hilton, Istanbul. Looked over the state, looked over the Besiktas Stadium. So we went up, got to the room, and then walked in the room. There's a big bouquet of flowers for so big bowl of fruit. All thing, and I'm thinking, John Barnes <laughs> yeah. me, on my shoulder. Thing, they're going to give you all the best and stuff like that. And I think so. So. Gordon Mill's son um, says, "Get settled in, and I'll come and co- I'll come and collect you later on, and we'll go out for a meal." So I hadn't even met Gordon Mill by this time. They were in. It was the weekend that they were uh, in their second leg of their Turkish Cup final. They were playing Fenerbahce in the second leg at the, the Besiktas Stadium on the on the Sunday. So. And so they were at the, they were in camp, so the, the team. So he said, my dad will my dad will see you sort of probably Saturday or maybe just before the game on Sunday, because he'll be he'll be at the hotel. So this is Thursday or Friday, and thing. So he said, I'll come for you on the night. So get ready. Knock on the door. He comes and picks up. We can't go out the front. The reporters are still there. So I'm thinking, oh, there's not something here they don't want us to see. So down the lift, it out the back, up the Bosphorus, we're restaurant. That's something. He come back, same thing, out the thing. So for three days, we sort of we went out of the never saw the front of the hotel for three days. So the th- the last day, uh, that was their take the, they're playing in their cup final. So he said, my dad wants you to go to the game. I'll come and collect you. And we'll walk down, we'll walk down to the, to the stadium. So we come in, they're like, you mean, it's like 35,000 in the, in, in the stadium. But the, the stadiums in Turkey at that time, there was no corporate hospitality or anything like that in the stadium. All the stadium was, was a stadium, changing rooms, and maybe it's where the sort of, the directors went, had a little room. All the sort of, all the, uh, vending machine, all the vendors and all the thing were all outside the stadium, round the, round the stadium outside. So we we walked down, and we had to go into the, went into the players' entrance of the thing. Obviously, the players had been in in, in there by now, so it was it was sort of uh, just us going in. And then the stadium, you could walk all the way under the 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 
the stand, the stand came down. It was like a mortar that went round, so we could walk in. So we walked in and walked all the way virtually around the pitch, like a big horseshoe shape, and into the stand. So we would come up, up into the stand, come up the top, come down the steps to go in. And there was about 20 photographers there from the thing, taking photos of us just going into the... Into the into the seats. So you must have felt you so, hit the big time. <laughs> no, it was a, it was, a, it was a bit, So I'm thinking for two or three days. I'm thinking, what's going on? Like, you mean the the, you mean they looked after us, yeah. and did everything they could for us. But I'm thinking, why do why is like, why they not letting us go out of the hotel at the front? Obviously, they didn't let us go out because. The reporters were there. So much interest. So yeah. So so it was like yeah. So so it was. Uh, so then we watched the game, and I'm thinking. So the game was towards the end of it was towards the end of June. The game, and I'm thinking. It's absolutely baking hot. You know how the plane and how the plane and this and. Uh, Les Ferdinand, he was on a season-long loan from Queen's Park Rangers at Besiktas, so he was he'd been playing at Besiktas. I think he's got about nineteen goals that season for them, but he was just about nineteen at that time. They wanted to sign him, but obviously Queen's Park Rangers saw. What, I mean, he was he was meant for, he was going on to bigger things, um, so um, he had a sort of season-long loan. So he played in, he played in the game. You watched him. So, so you, you, it's a hell of a decision to make, though, because you had a big you had a family. But how many children do you have? Four. By then? Four yeah, children. Four, yeah. Um, so you and so had a big decision, big decision to make after after your trip over there. Did you, was it an easy decision or not? It was. It was. It was pretty easy because when we got there, I think you get first impressions about. Although we we didn't see the front of the hotel and we we were well looked after and the shoulders the apartments and the shoulders the schools and it, I mean we we felt we felt at ease we felt at ease when we were there. Mm. And, and uh, how long did you spend there as it turned out? So it was two. Two years there, so I mean, but I didn't. You know, I spoke to Gordon on the day, the, the day again. We met him on the morning. He said, "I'm not discussing any financial things. I just want to get out. Just want you to." Now I'm thinking, I'm worried. About, I'm more worried about the eight hundred quid I've had to show to get here. <laughs> Am I going to get that back? <laughs> <laughs> which I, which I did. You know, I mean, in the end, sort of, that was their last game of the season. They drew. I think they beat Fenerbahce in the. In the in the first leg, they drew the second leg, so they won the Turkish Cup. So they were on a bit of a, they were on a high. And uh, Gordon did it, had a few things. And we went back home a couple of weeks later. He rang us and said, come up to, uh, come up to Leicestershire and uh, we'll, we'll have a chat. And, um, and that's where you signed. And that's where I signed, yeah. Mm. yeah. He had it all written out. It was all, the contract was all written out in his hand. You know, it was all a thing. So it's like, you know, I mean, this is, I mean, obviously Gordon sort of would have passed that on to the... the and, you enjoy, uh, and you enjoyed your... Briefly yeah, enjoyed it was great. Time. Yeah, I mean, we had a... Yeah, I mean, there was, there, was a lot, there was a lot of pressure on it because you, you were the foreign player uh, 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 and there was another couple of players that came. So, you mean, although the Turkish players, most of that Besiktas team, because that, that the two seasons we were there, we won the, we won the league and the cup the first season. And we won the league again the second season. Um, and what you found out there was if you're successful on the pitch, everything else off the pitch, they can't do enough for you. And the play, and at that time, when I leave in Bristol City, 
um, to go to that to the club. I don't know what obviously the the um, the fair, our our first division clubs were doing preparation wise for the games, but over there, the players were the main people at the club. You know, I mean, if they they were their, the players were looked after. If the players didn't want to do anything, uh, wanted to do something. It was up to them, you know. I mean, the club wouldn't dictate and say, "Oh, you want? We want you to do this." The players went, you know I mean, and it was mainly everything was through the captain as well of the team. So he would go to the players and say, "The club want you to do this," and they would say, "No," and that was it. Or they'd say yes and they'd go and do something. So mm-hmm. the players were the, in the preparation. So the training ground had a, a, a lovely couple of couple of lovely pitches. We had uh, the changing rooms. Above the change rooms was a lounge area with a with a dining room, kitchen, full time chefs, waiters, and then above that was uh, sleeping accommodation where you obviously preparing for games at home. You would go in to camp two days prior to the game, so they knew you were getting the right food and everything um, prior to the game. Preparation for the game was first class. So in a way, a wonderful way to, to end your time in, uh, in, in full professional football. Uh, I know you came back and played local football as well, including at Wembley again in the FA Vars final for, for Taunton, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so you went back to Wembley unexpectedly. Um, since then, I know you've done a lot of different jobs in football, including, we'll say it quietly, working with Bristol Rovers as a community officer for, yeah. for, for a time. A couple of spells uh, at Bristol Rovers. Did you? Yeah. And, 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 and coaching at Bristol City as well. Yeah. Um, I want to bring you up to date and life off the pitch for Alan, Alan Walsh these days. And for that, we have to go back a few years to something that changed your life, which was when your daughter, Kate, happened to come across a certain American actor called Kelsey Grammer, who became her husband, probably one of the highest paid actors in America and, and one of, certainly one of the best known for Frasier and programmes like that. Um, when that happened, Alan... It must have it must have changed your life. Did it change your life immediately, or, or you know, it, it, suddenly you were mixing in circles you could never have dreamt of? Well, not immediately because they kept it, kept uh, Kate and kept it quiet. How did they meet? Uh, the, Kate was working for Virgin Atlantic. Uh, she was cabin crew, and she was on a coming back uh, from LA on a flight. And Kelsey was on on the flight, and they, they got talking, and it, it just. Uh, Sort of uh, snowball from there, really, and uh, but I didn't sort of I didn't know that for a while. Obviously, she she told her mum, and she'd met Kelsey Grammer, and he wanted her. To, obviously, uh, Kate lived at home, um, so he, when the, obviously when they got off the plane, he went to to London. She came to Bristol. He said he wanted to. She want he wanted her to come to London to meet him, and uh, I think it was sort of winter time. They sort of they had the sort of winter wonderland up in Hyde Park and stuff like that. So it was, and uh, it just, the, obviously the, the, it just sort of really sort of snowballed from there really. But I didn't know uh, for, I mean, I'm presuming it's a few months before I knew. Uh, and then obviously they told me and uh, Kelsey, Kelsey rang me and, uh, and said that uh, he loved her and uh, he's going to look after her. And uh, I said, "What about me?" We <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. look after me too. Yeah. I said, and he said he was going to look after her, and uh, and, and that that was fine. What was your reaction? The age difference is, is yeah. I mean, I was going to say the, there is an age difference, but also he, I think he 
been married a couple of times before yeah. maybe and was in the middle of a, a divorce suit or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, as a father, one part of you must have thought this is really exciting. Was there a slight doubt in your mind, is this the right thing for Kate to do? Um, you, you've always got doubts, I think, but I've always, with my kids, I've always obviously let them sort of be headstrong and let them do what they want to do because I could have went to Kate and said, like, what are you doing going out with some somebody older than you and stuff like that and it's thing, and then she's going to do it wherever you do. I mean, if I if I sort of go against it, she's probably she'll go against me and still do what she wants to do. So I think you've got you've got to sort of have that bit of leeway with them where they, you, you give them you give them let them get on with it and and, and go. You've obviously you've you've always got uh, doubts, uh, but I mean then. Uh, it's worked out fantastically it, well. It does, yeah. It's, um, it's worked I mean, out. It's worked Kelsey's, out. Really. Kelsey's visited here, hasn't he? He's been to Porter's Head, and and I saw him once at a Bristol Rovers game when, when, yeah. when you were with him from from a distance. I've I've not met him yet, yeah. but I know he's got his picture in some of the shops in Porter's Head. Yeah. He's obviously a, 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 a big, huge star, and in in this country as well as in America, um, but a star who will mix with mix with people and, and and I know you've told me he's very happy with giving autographs and things like that you know so what, what sort of person is he would you he, he's a lovely person I mean we used to when Kate was little we used to watch Cheers a lot I mean it was one of them programs that I think a, a lot of people used to watch and Cheers used to be on on a I think it was channel channel four on a Friday night and like I was at Darlington at the time and like you would go into the game the next day and you wouldn't be talking about the game. You'd be talking about what what happened on Cheers the night before. Uh, and so, obviously, that was our first connection with with Kelsey being on Cheers. And then our Frasier came along, and and, that. and then obviously you find out your daughter's uh, going out with Kelsey Grammer. And uh, you mean I, I hadn't obviously we hadn't met him. The first time I spoke to him was over the phone, and he was. Quite, I mean, he was genuine what he said, and then he's going to look after her and he loves it, and he's going to look after her and everything. Uh, and then they were getting married, and the, so two, two or three days before the before the wedding, that was the, f- the first time, first time I met him, and it was like when you go and meet somebody of that stature, although he's got, he's marrying your daughter, and you're thinking like. He's going to be it's your son-in-law. Yeah, it's going to be my son. He's going to yeah. He's going to be my son-in-law, and he's going to like uh, he go up, and I went to sort of shake his hand, and he just pulled me in and gave us a big a big hug. You know what I mean? It was it was one of them. It was like, and he Where said, was great the wedding? To me. Where was this? The wedding was in New York, so he was in uh, in a in a show in New York uh, on Broadway, and um, they got married on stage. Oh, really? At the show, not at the show, but in the theatre, uh, and then the, the reception um, uh, was in uh, a big, big hotel in, uh, in in New York. I love hearing your stories of what it's meant to you and Sue, and, and what what's been brought into your life by Kate. For, for one thing, three three grandchildren that they've got three children, haven't, haven't they now? And, yeah. and so that's, that's that's wonderful. But also, it's given you some wonderful trips, hasn't it? And apart, one, the other, I, I know Kelsey's name as, as much as anything from The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, Bob, he's the voice of Sideshow Bob, isn't he? In yeah. The Simpsons. Um, tell us about your trip to, to the studios where, where The Simpsons was done. Yeah, it was um, so. 
we we were in uh, LA and Kelsey said, "Oh, I've got going to obviously the people from the from Fox where the Simpsons uh, made said I've got to go in and sort of do a little voiceover that he'd done the voiceover, but something happened that he needed to go in and do it again." So he said, do you, do you want to come along? And we went, oh, yeah, great. So obviously my eldest lad, Stuart, he was there at the time, uh, Sue, and I think we took a couple of couple of the kids. And uh, he's, so Kelsey, Kelsey was in his car and we were in sort of behind. So he drove into Fox Studios and it's sort of quite, you know, I mean, security's quite tight when you go in the, into these places. So Kelsey's pulled up at the, at the thing and he said, obviously, Kelsey Grammer to do the thing and he sort of, Kelsey went, obviously, these obviously got some family behind, stuff like that, and sort of got went through and sort of parked up and walked into this, walked into this uh, building, up the stairs into this room. And it was a, it was a, a fairly, fairly big room with a big TV coming down from the ceiling. And uh, we had to go in a little, like a booth um, with one of the technicians. Kelsey went in, picture come up on the screen of this, uh, scene from The Simpsons, Kelsey sort of, like, with a microphone like this, said his bit, finished, out. So we were in there about five minutes. So but it was I'm, great. I imagine you thought, though, that you'd probably see the whole thing being done yeah. with all, all the actors. In we fact, they do it one at a time, go in and voice like that, just yeah. one at a time. she comes in, just, uh, just, just do their do, bit. Yeah, just does their bit. Because Kelsey doesn't, he doesn't watch The Simpsons, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but he just goes in, does it, and... Really he's out, but yes, you know, Kelsey. You know, whenever we've been out with Kelsey, and we've been out, and like you said earlier about obviously people wanting autographs and stuff like that, but people don't really ask for autographs now. It's all obviously with the phones, it's selfies, and uh, I've never ever seen him refuse anybody. I mean, he'll go and he'll spend time with people and he'll talk to them and you know, give them a time of day, um, and that's that's the sort of. Uh, Character he is, you know. I mean, he's a, he's he, he, he although he's although he's that uh, really big star, mega star in in America and well all over the world, really. Uh, he uh, he is he 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 does give people time of day when he when he's talking to them. And who have you, who have you met as a result of knowing him? Um, I think we were sort of. The thing with Kelsey, he, he hasn't he hasn't got really sort of a lot of the high profile people as friends. Um, he seems to have sort of his um, friendship is sort of people who he's sort of grown up with. But he's uh, taking you to concerts and dinners. Yeah, yes, we take we've taken he's taken us to concerts and stuff like that. And he's um, I think we had a male John Voigt came round one. Uh, Evening for a for a meal when in, in LA, uh, we've been to quite a few concerts. Uh, Sue likes Led Zeppelin. She's always wanted to meet Robert Plant, and uh, Kelsey was doing a show in America, and he was um, he wanted to get a, they, did, they didn't have the boss to call the show, and he didn't have the like the title music for the show, and Sue Sue was listening to a track of a Led Zeppelin track. And she said that might be good for a thing. So Kelsey contacted Robert Plant, uh, and uh, they spoke. And Robert Plant was a big fan. He said, 
when they when they do, when Led, Led Zeppelin used to do all the gigs after the gig when they're going back they used to watch all the Frasier tapes on the on the tour bus and stuff like that. So Robert Plant was a big fan of Kelsey. Sue was a massive fan of Robert Plant. So Sue Sue suggested to Kelsey about this this song for the thing and. Kelsey got in touch and eventually Robert Plant said, yeah. And did Sue get to meet him? Sue's met him. Sue's met him about a dozen times now. Yeah, so, and... Uh, do you, do you, does it make you feel a bit inferior when you're stood next to Ro- Ro- and she's talking to Robert Plant? A little bit, but <laughs> Robert Plant's a Wolves supporter and uh, I think he's got... I think he's on the... He's on somewhere down the line. He's 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 on the board at Wolves or somewhere somewhere there like that. So there's been a couple of times. I mean, obviously when you go to these rubber plant gigs, sort of he's got after the show, he's got a lot of people to talk to and stuff like that. So he'll come up and sometimes he'll come and talk to Sue. Then he'll turn away from Sue and start talking to me about football. Mm-hmm. Which she goes up. Mm-hmm. He hasn't. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't come here to talk about football. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Well, it, I, I'm so envious, Alan, of, of, of the trips that you make to America now and everything. But nobody deserves it more than you, mate. Yeah. You, you, it's, it's an incredible story for a Hartlepool lad or Northeast lad um, who obviously wasn't brought up in anything like that sort of environment yeah. to go to to be now living or not living over there, but making a lot of trips yeah. over to America, mixing in that. I mean, is it like a bit of a dream come true? It is a little bit surreal, yeah. I would say. I mean, it is a, it is a thing because, like, when you you look back and you think, uh, you know, now that now they've got Kate and Kelsey have got three three children, our grandchildren, uh, and it's um, and we've got another four here in in. in in this country, and uh, it's it is it is surreal. But I mean, they although we go over there, they do he does do a lot of work over here. So we get we get a chance to go over there, and we get a chance to see him here. And uh, we have um, we have uh, really I mean we we have a really good time when they when they're here. Brilliant. We try to get all the family together as well. And he, Kelsey does like to to go up to Hartlepool, you know what I mean? He's met, obviously, um, he's met Sue's mum who sadly passed away uh, a few years ago, but he met Sue's mum and he's obviously met my parents and uh, my family. And He sounds like a humble, humble guy. Yeah, he is, yeah, yeah. yeah which um, is wonderful, isn't yeah. it? It's an absolutely wonderful story, Alan, and, and uh, I say we, I love sharing the stories with you when, 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 we, when we meet up. Mm-hmm. Fantastic time at Bristol City. One of the best players I ever saw play yeah. for Bristol City without any question. Certainly the best left foot, perhaps yeah. along with Brian Tinian, maybe maybe he might say. Um, but best left foot shot. Wonderful times, wonderful um, it's wonderful time to be at Bristol City, wasn't it? As you said, for mixing with the supports it and was. all that. Yeah. Thank you so much for being my first guest. It's been wonderful. And yeah. uh, I wish you many more happy years with your grandchildren. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. <laughs>